It's the Ides of August 2014, and this is Trash Break Ratio, Episode 1. episode of Trashback Ratio. I'm your host Jackson Tyler. With me I have three of my movie watching friends. Destiny Sturdevant, say hello. Hello. Kyle Turner, say hello. Howdy there. Hey there, hey there. And then Matthew Marco on the end, say hello. Say hello Matt. What's a movie? Uh, see, a movie, otherwise known as a motion picture, is a form of entertainment and art uh, Created with the combination of images and sound. Oh, okay. Wow. So a talkie. So a talkie. Yeah. Well, no. You, some silent movies still have the combination of images and sound. No, they, no, they don't. They do. They have. They play piano. The the sound. They don't, oh, they so, don't have. They don't to. have to, but some of them do. So silent movies are sometimes a misnomer because sound is very important to many of them. That's that's a good point. Yeah, just just bringing out the facts. Drop a knowledge bomb. <laughs> so stay tuned for more facts. <laughs> on this here podcast. Uh, the main goal of this podcast, as with other casts, you may have heard some of the uh, people from here on, or not, but, uh, is to have a movie club where we're going to talk about one specific movie. This week it is Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, but before we get into that we're just going to introduce ourselves, catch up, see how everyone's doing. How is everyone doing? I didn't know this podcast was weekly. Shit! Oh, <laughs> the, the whole every Ides, the the Ides are weekly in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we have to leave it all in. Yeah, good job. Good job. We were, well I rescued done. it. I pulled it back from the brink. But the the offer to talk about how you're doing still stands. How's everyone doing? What's going on? Let's catch up. I'm in the throes of sleep madness right now. <laughs> you are. How many hours? Did you sleep? Three bad hours. So you slept less than I could watch Wolf of Wall Street for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well. No one else is going to volunteer how they're doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't hear you ask. I don't know how I missed that. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just, uh, you know, surviving. Word. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I am doing okay. My back hurts because I don't sit. I don't have any kind of semblance of good posture. So I've been popping pills today, like Tylenol and all that jazz. But other than that, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm waiting, ready for school to start. It's, it's always fun. I'm not. I feel you. I feel you. I do feel you, though. I'm doing all right. That was a good. That was a good catch up. It's a mopey cast. The trash bag ratio <laughs> mopey cast. It's livening things up. Any, has any anyone? Uh, 
see if anyone's anyone's seen any films recently before we get into the actual meat of things. Oh. Can I go first? Um, yes, please feel free to. Or may I? I'm sorry for interrupting Destiny. Oh, no, you didn't interrupt. interrupt. Go ahead. Okay, so last night I did a double feature of um, Pedro Maldivar's Atame, or Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and um, Alfonso Cuaron's Itamama Tambien, because they are being released on Criterion, and I got some screeners. Which um, So, Time Me Up, Time Me Down made me come to the realization that of the Almodovar films that I have seen, he is equally as problematic of a director, of an auteur, as Lars von Trier, if we're going to... Their brands of misogyny are essentially the same thing, if one is going to use that. I would actually argue that Almodovar's casual misogyny is a bit worse than Lars von Trier's, because he kind of oscillates, and, and that one... He seems to be much more of a gray area because Time Me Up, Time Me Down is about this former mental patient who kidnaps a former porn star slash B-movie actress and during which she uh, kind of um, succumbs to Stockholm Syndrome. But there's a lot of objectification and implications of assault and rape and it's this very strange, dark comedy. And the problem that I found biggest with the film is that um, Mariel Abril, I think that's her name, um, her character is never given any kind of agency in it. And that, I, that really bothered me. I, 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 like, I kind of understand that he's trying to genre blend to some extent, but it doesn't really excuse how not complex, how not nuanced her character is, and how seemingly superficial everything is in that film. And I also don't particularly care for um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, because that seems to be, from what I remember, just a lot of women being reduced to being shrill and helpless. I feel like Moldovar, he, like, he loves melodramas, he loves Douglas Sirk, he loves the 50s American sort of melodrama, like the really brightly colored. And mm-hmm. of course, the two movies you bring up are the ones I haven't seen. But like, <laughs> I never really had a problem with him until I saw, oh my goodness, I had a, there were some kind of gross things in Bad ed- Education and mm-hmm. um, The Skin I Live In. But I don't, I, I can't help but like him. I think he's interesting. I, I'm not discouraging someone from liking him because I like Lars Archer and I'm very well aware that he travels into some territory that he probably shouldn't. Yeah, I like him too. Uh, but yeah, my feelings are... I can't even verbalize them in a very clear way. I just... They're entertaining and they're problematic and that's just how I feel. <laughs> Talk to her also has some issues. And I think what... Oh, I love Talk to her though. Isn't that... Insane. Like, my favorite no, no. is probably all about my mother. What did you think of Eat Mama Tambien? I hate that movie so much. You're kidding! No, oh my I God, hate I... it. I've why? S- this is the second time I've seen it, and the only reason why I accepted the review to review it is, one, free criterion, and two, they only wanted 175 words from me. And I was like, I- Wait, what, but why didn't you like it? Oh, well, the reason why I don't like it is because 
I realize that a lot of what I don't like about it has to do with relatability. And I did read that piece from the New Yorker by Rebecca Mead, which we should link to on our website. Um, but I find the boys just really asshole-ish. And I... Well, they're teen boys. I know, they're teen boys. <laughs> but I I understand that the film, as a road trip film, kind of epitomizes the idea that road trip movies are about desire. And that very much seems apparent, but I don't... I feel like it had a little bit too much fun being vulgar and profane for me to enjoy it. And I feel that... I, I just thought that movie was freaking hot. I, I have no, I didn't, like... I was not turned <laughs> on by it. It was really sexy, and uh, I had... I don't really like the way that... What was her name? Marisa? Louisa. Louisa. I didn't like the way that Marisa... Louisa kind of... She's not the most developed character, mm. and it's sad because the entire movie kind of hinges on them wanting her mm-hmm. but i don't know i saw that movie at a very young age and it just sort of stayed with me i don't like how they have this credo of of well one they don't treat women very well two they have this credo where they're not supposed to ruin their friendship by sleeping with the others significant others their girlfriends but they do anyways and i'm like what but that's what? kind of the point the point is i don't that get the point these friendships are based on really flimsy things and like that's kind of what being young is about like you don't really know how to navigate your relationships and you're learning and in the end like their maturity comes at the realization that their friendship is based on something flimsy okay i also feel like compared to most sexual coming of age stories that movie in particular lets the audience have the distance from your protagonist to where you see them in over their head Mm. more than normal like, you feel like they're lost and kind of removed from you, and you're watching this slow-motion train wreck okay. more than most movies of that type, I think. Anyway. I, what I do think is interesting about it is that it juxtaposes um, this very novel-esque narration, which reminded me of Tom Perotta's script for Little Children, which is a film that I love. That's one of my favorite movies. Against the vulgarity and the Baroque dialogue of everyone else. That I thought was interesting. And I did watch one of the special features on the disc. There's an interview with Slavoj Zizek. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? I think so. Anyway, he talks about kind of the socio-political aspects of the film and reading it as Mexico um, as a very young country, just um, newly independent, which I think is interesting. Um, there's and, something about that guy that he just rubs me the wrong way, but that's a whole nother conversation for a completely different <laughs> podcast. He touched his yeah. nose 28 times in eight minutes. Because he's shifty. <laughs> I think he needs some allergen or something to make his nose oh, less itchy. Oh, uh, we should probably ask everybody else what was yes, like. Yes, I'm know. sorry for going on that tangent. That, that's fine. It's what this podcast is here for. I haven't watched a movie in like almost two weeks, so I'm probably not the person to ask. Okay, uh, Destiny. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I mean, I feel kind of bad because I talked about all the movies I watched on my own podcast, yeah, but I no, will I say that, um, like, as far as the last things I watched, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which we all, I think everybody here liked. Um, I, I, I have liked not it, seen but it. Let, let me tell you, don't get end up in situations where you're dragged to that four times because you will hate that film. <laughs> you saw it four times? Uh, yeah, I saw it once, and I saw it a second time. I was like, I want to see this again. But then my sister wanted to go, so she dragged me along. And then in my day of hell, they wanted to go. And then I was like, great, the, the seeing that for four times in a row, it doesn't hold up. That's not a film 
uh, with that much depth. To be fair, there's movies I love that I would not want to watch four times in that short of a period. I agree. Accurate. I agree. The only movie I would like to see again is Lucy. Because ah, I, like I loved it to pieces, and I'm really, really sad I probably won't get a chance to see it in the theater again. Maybe it'll come back to some indie cinema in about ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone here see Lucy? It's not yes. out over in the UK. Oh, okay, I won't talk about it then. That's I just... funny, considering it's European financed. Well, you know, we, we got Boyhood uh, before some people in America did. The release date things just work on a case-to-case basis, whatever they think is going to make the most money at the time. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's true. Let's talk about Lucy after Jackson sees it, then. Okay, yeah, sure. They'll be in the middle of... It's, oh, God, they'll be like two weeks now. Yeah. Quick question. Yeah. Has any, everyone here seen Boyhood? No. No. no that's my point. Is that, oh, uh, okay. Destiny and Matt haven't. Okay, sorry. It's out. It's been out here uh, for only a few days. Like, it just came out this weekend, but um, uh, we just didn't want to go yesterday. Our theater, our theater the, the theater showing at, where they're like, we're going to be sold out all weekend for this. And I'm like, I don't want to brave the awful art house crowd because <laughs> they're terrible on movies like that. I wanted to hear Jackson and Matt's Pedro Moldovar feelings. Do you guys have them? I've only seen the skin I live in? two of his movies. Mm, okay. What were three maybe? And uh, I don't really have a, a, a like codified opinion of him as a director, unfortunately. Jackson? I haven't seen any of them because I'm a philistine. That's okay. I was just curious. But you I, have an I... English accent. It's true. I can fake it really well. It's a really <laughs> useful tool. No, huh? are, you, are you saying you're faking your English accent? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I don't know, because I can't do any other. I can't do any other accent to slip into to complete the joke. So, no. I can do Southern and I can do British. Do a British accent right now. Okay. Uh, here's my British accent. <laughs> uh, it's not very good. It's not very good at stop, all. Stop, please, for the love of God. I told you, it's pretty bad. I love, I love that, and every and that that warms my heart. Occasionally I slip into a southern accent just because, and it's a very slight one. Southern accents are easy because my family's from the south. So y'all don't know about no southern accent. Girl, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Said like a true east coaster, Kyle. I will remain resolutely midwestern if I can help it. As you always want to do. (laughs) Beautiful non-regional dialect. It's pretty flat. I'm a fan. Just like my chest. Good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> Jackson, what's the last thing you watched other than Guardians? Uh, the one I'd want to bring up would be Under the, Under the Skin. I love that film. I found it way more intense than I think you did, Matt, because I've talked to you about it off off air. Um, I, I It was an intense movie. I don't know what you were talking about. I was. Uh... I meant in terms of like in a horror style intense. You just let it oh. sink in, and I was like, ah. I found that movie spoke to me on like a like a deep level i'm not sure most people would feel yeah i I spent that movie kind of relishing it i feel like it's it's like a sensual movie it's like it's like eating really rich chocolate i adored it that's irony right right because chocolate cake oh yeah well well, okay (laughs) reaching i like it though i like it i'm so confused remember the scene of the chocolate cake oh yes Yes. I'm sorry. You guys hate me. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just... It took me a second. Someone's got to be the butt, Kyle. It's just you. I'll be the butt next time. Next sides. Next sides, I'm the butt. I'll be the butt is the title of this. (laughs) 
episode. I thought Under the Skin was fabulous. I don't really... I, 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 I feel like a lot of that... Like I'm really sad because a lot of my friends had a problem with the ending of the movie. Why? And to me, the ending was one of the best parts. Yeah, the end. Yeah, I think the ending is absolutely critical to certain readings of it, because I I've, I read it as as a thing about gender performance. Could you get closer to the mic, Kyle? I, I read a thing. I <laughs> I I read it as a, a kind of a thing on on gender performance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, as did I. All took similar things from that film. I I feel I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what other people could take from it because I felt it was. I don't know. I thought it wasn't exactly subtle about what it was about. No, like it's, it, it's a clearly an abstract movie in like a literal storytelling sense, but the mechanics of its uh, metaphor are laid very bare and obvious by the end. I don't know what. I, I you, you see plenty of people who just read it as a weird sci-fi movie. Oh yeah, I've just, seen that too. I, I watched a review on um, YouTube, and I just want to scream, "You're wrong!" at it. Uh, yeah, what? that's the thing. I feel like... Oh, sorry, were you going to say something? I just wanted to know what the what did they say. They just... They didn't really say anything. They just seemed to find it really inaccessible and didn't have any particular reading. I think a lot of people just wanted it to be a straight-up sci-fi film and no one wanted to look at the subtext and the people... I mean, the subtext was super loud, like Jackson said. And uh, the people who were really into the subtext... I don't. I don't know. I, I. I honestly haven't read anything about this film. I've just been talking about it with people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Same. But I. I thought it was great. I'd see that again. In a heartbeat. Agreed. I. Th- I think one of the biggest problems and the reason it's got that kind of reaction is because it was advertised specifically with uh, Scarlett Johansson is an alien. Like they were. They said that up front, and everyone's expectation was way more sci-fi. Than... Uh, see, I didn't actually know what that movie was about when I went to see it. That You had the yeah, best you, experience. You did, because I knew going in she was an alien that killed men. And I like saw that entire movie and did not read Alien in it at all. Yeah, it's pretty no, great. It's, it's pretty great. There's only one shot where it like, explicitly says Alien. And you can just read that as metaphor. Like It doesn't have to be Alien at all. No, I meant the yeah. shot at the beginning with the, star- the spaceships flying away. Sure, I guess. I, I don't remember that in particular. Like, exactly. The entire so... opening sequence of the movie is her getting to Earth, right? Yeah, or it's the creation or of the her. Or the creation eye. of her. I did both... yell out at the beginning of at the end of that sequence, fucking cool, it was an eye. Because, <laughs> I mean, I was watching it in my house, so I could, I could do that. <laughs> uh, kind of funny story, but not really funny. When I saw it, it was the showing before the showing they were going to have with the director there. So I, I think I actually bumped into not bumped into him, but I think I saw him in the laboratory after the film. Oh, cool! Well, that that wraps up film talk. Film talk <laughs> five thousand. Right now, time for more film talk. <laughs> stay, stay tuned for more film talk, and now we're back with film talk. I would. I hope that people write in with their thoughts about some of these movies we talked about in the first segment of Film Talk. Agreed. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear some under-the-skin interpretations. I'd love to hear some opinions about uh, the two Spanish-language movies that Kyle mentioned. Because that, that, those are um, really good movies. I'd like to hear some thoughts about El Motivar in general, and I plan on writing a 
some piece comparing Elmodovar and Lars von Trier. So if you have any thoughts on that, I'd like to hear them. Sweet. Yeah. I would just write in to uh, trashbeckratio at gmail.com or trashbeckratio on Twitter or any of us on Twitter with any questions or anything or like movies you'd like us to talk about or think we should check out. Just feel free. Getting the plugs in, in the middle. Unexpected plug zone. Yay. Yeah. So should we, should we go into the main segment of the podcast here? Yeah. yeah I'm ready. do this. I'm ready. I feel like Kyle's, Freddy. Kyle's, Freddy. Kyle's noise in his Skype recording has become some kind of magical symphony of white noise. It's great. That, I'm so sorry. It's, it's not I gonna, feel so bad. I'll use the other other recording so you'll be fine. No one else is going to know what we're, gonna talk, what we're talking about. But anyway, uh, yes, for this month's movie club, we watched Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump's A Field in England. Uh... Which was his 2013 film, his fourth film. I think. Hang on. Yep, his fourth film. Uh, I've seen every Ben Ben Wheatley film. What about has? I know you and, and Destiny and Matt haven't, right? You've, yeah, this is my first Ben Wheatley movie. Kyle, what about you? What's your prior experience? This is, what's your prior I have experience? seen. I've seen Kill List and I've seen Sightseers. I really like Kill List a lot. Sightseers. Yeah. I was slightly cooler on, but not, but only marginally so. I thought I I have a thing for kind of morbid, sardonic British humor, so that was kind of up my alley. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah. quite like them. I haven't. I don't think I've seen his first film. No, da- uh, his first film was Down Terrace. I think it was a two thousand and nine release, which is about a family of mobsters, uh, in just this kind of shitty town in Britain and all his films have this very similar structure of this slow build, basically. Killless mm. has that structure. Field in England definitely has the structure. If it starts out and it's basically for the first 45 minutes there's a bunch of people talking about things but then by the end of the movie everyone's being shot and killed and gross and just... If basically, the whole films are structured as one deliberate release of tension or building of and then release of tension he doesn't do um set pieces in the same way i feel Uh, and that definitely holds true in a field of england but yeah so Hmm. let's get into specifically that film then let's go around the table i'm gonna call on the the table in quotes uh, the skype call as i call on one of you for your uh, immediate impressions i'm gonna call on destiny what did you think I thought it was great. Uh, way funnier than I expected. Oh, yeah. Way funnier. It reminded me of... Oh, my goodness. I don't even know. But there were some... And I hate to say this because my American is showing. But it reminded me of just like like a weird Monty Python sketch combined with like... A PBS historical documentary. <laughs> accurate, accurate. The, the Monty Python. I don't think the Monty Python thing is your American showing. There's definitely a connection there. Like the, specifically, what scene is the most that uh, I feel like there's that scene with them, the main guy, the coward, and friend kneeling in the thing, and he's like, uh, "Wait, do you, your hands are clean. Do you think about things before you you touch them?" And he's like. Uh, is that not the norm? And the guy replies, no, not in Essex. 
<laughs> which exactly. is a fantastic little bit and kind of emblematic of the dialogue within the film. It definitely hits that tone, yeah. And it doesn't help that Julian Barrett's in the movie, and I can't think of him without becoming instantly amused uh, because I was really into the Mighty Boosh when that kind of made its way over here. So I don't know. It it was it, I I really enjoyed it. I love a good druggy movie. I am a fan of um, black and white films, so really there was no way I was going to dislike this movie. That's a good point. Good point. What about you, Kyle? What did you? What was your immediate reaction to a field in England? My immediate reaction. Well, I was. I kind of procrastinated initially on watching it, but I watched it two days, two or three days ago, at eleven, and I was like, "Do I? Will I be able to, like?" stay up and watch this but it was just so hypnotic and entrancing I absolutely I really quite adored um, that dark humor that um, Wheatley seems to imbue in his films and mm. the cinematography was gorgeous wheat wheat fields so <laughs> remind me of <laughs> that I, nice wheat so I, I, I liked the wheat fields um, I was actually Reminded a little bit more of David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick than I initially thought I would be. I thought it would... I'd seen the trailer and I thought I'd be thinking more of Terrence Malick. Kind of as a de facto thing, but um, there, some of the editing reminded me of Effer Fake and um, 2001. Effer Fake by Orson Welles. And... The, the soundscape I really quit I really was enamored of and that reminded me of David Lynch so I, I thought it was really great I really liked it it was also very strange so it is very strange what about Matt your immediate reactions um I was also pretty entranced by this uh the opening half which is the Satra version of the first half of Barry Lyndon with them kind of trapped in this existential desertion state where like it's clear that they've run away from this battle but they're locked in this like null space where anything could happen but that you know that they're never going to find their way out to the weird like feverish ending where it just turns into El Topo basically <laughs> uh, where he puts on the cloak and the hat and it gets real weird and violent in <laughs> kind of a um, like a, it trades heavily in like the metaphor of their moment even as they're like shooting guns, it is way more about the metaphysical struggle between your good guy and bad guy. Um, it is funny in that in an understated way, but what I thought was great about it was just how, like it, it's introspective, but I don't think it has a whole lot to say, and I, I like that. It just seems to kind of noodle in a space where these characters are also noodling around. And its lack of actual substance, I thought, was delightful. Yeah, I that was the thing that stood out to me most, was how it had all this uh, psychedelic, trippy stuff towards the end, and all throughout, but didn't really seem to be building towards some kind of greater point, which, uh, in Kill List specifically, there's a lot of... the It has a very similar ending. Um, it's not as uh, trippy, but as... Uh, you, you start to lose any sense of what's going on in terms of any logical sense. And Kill List has a lot of people analyzing it, trying to work out the secret plot that the 
uh, is hidden in the meaning uh, there. And I like how a field in England deliberately moved away from that and was just you are going to have to experience this and was focused way more on the reaction to the editing and the soundscape just overbearing rather than as some kind of cryptic clues for a unexplained plot. I actually didn't know that there were cryptic clues in Kill List. I just accepted it as was as is. Oh, there's a bunch of them. I can tell you I won't because uh, Matt and Destiny haven't seen it, but let me tell you about the actual plot of Kill List. It's a big thing. <laughs> no, I think I think there's a certain confidence to a movie that allows itself to navel gaze without actually wasting people's time yes. because it's offering like richness, just not in like a textural or subtextual way. Just is yeah. a thing you let wash over you and carry you along, which is deep down the main goal of all psychedelic film. And this film is kind of stayed for a psychedelic film, but I think it definitely fits into that category. Yeah, it's a yeah. very it's a subtle with its um sort of psychedelia. Like I when I read the synopsis, I I thought it was going to be more like. I don't know, um, a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie, or uh, what's a movie that kind of built up, or Train Spotting, where it was a little wackier, but mm-hmm. everything's really subdued, and I, I like that. I, I'm glad that it went that way because I think it makes the historical uh, setting feel more realistic and relatable. Yeah. Uh, would I, you agree? I, I... I think the the way the script specifically and dialogue conveys both uh, the period of time in which it is set in and also uh, an understandable dialect that is relatable and conveys like the sense of the class of the characters and everything without resorting to generic like I am I am servant of this person I will serve like every every character had a distinct personality in a way that was understandable the, like the script was on point basically and all the dialogue was fantastic which I think is uh, it's uh, Amy Jump's sole credit. Amy Jump is Ben Wheatley's wife and creative partner. I see them more as a team. I feel like he gets a lot of credit for stuff that is uh, um, a teamwork because those scripts are great. She writes very well. I need to see more of his stuff. Can I know, Can I uh, mention something that I noticed through the three films of his that yeah, I've seen? Please feel free. This is what it's for. Okay, so what I noticed about the three films of his that I've seen is that they uh, all have very um, slow burn um, yes. uh, paces. Mm-hmm. But I think he, put, uh, he puts an interesting focus on how being, conf- how being confined with the same group of people or person affects one's psyche and ha- affects one's uh, disposition. Because in Kill List, you, there are the two hitmen who have to stay together pretty much the entire time. Yep. Um, and it continually mounts and how um, kind of absurd and bizarre it gets. And then there's sightseers, which is about this couple who are kind of sightseeing around... Where is it? Just north of England. They're going on a tour around the north North, of England. North of England. And although it's kind of a very strange Bonnie and Clyde-esque story, the fact that they are in each other's presence for so long definitely takes a toll on them. And... Each of the various um, crimes that they commit escalates and how how violent and bizarre they are. And the reasoning gets even stranger. Yes. And then in this one, there are the, the four or five people 
who are confined in this vast landscape, and the presence of hallucinogens certainly doesn't help, but that confinement in such a vast landscape, there's kind of this weird, um, um, almost claustrophobic sense to it, despite there being a huge field to it. And I th- thought that was very interesting. It was incredibly claustrophobic, but it used the large expanse of this British field as a way to make them feel more isolated. Like, mm-hmm. like the fact that you could see nothing but fields as in every direction was made it feel small in a weird way. And uh, to the point about uh, characters uh, suffering from each other's presence, his first film, uh, Down Terrace, that was it, is about a father and son, uh, the son of a hitman who both relies upon and despises his connection to his dad. So it's all, his first film is the most pure version of that, I feel. Because it's all about whether they are going to try to team up or are they going to try to kill each other or what. Because it's a it's an exploration of that idea, especially in the fact that this this family has to stick together because they're a family, even though they also kill a bunch of folks. Um, it's kind of an aside. I just wanted to mention uh, the film that he is in production on now is a uh, adaptation of the novel High Rise by J.G. Ballard. Oh, that's right. Uh, me and Destiny are part of a book club. Uh, you can find it at booksforcrooks.tumblr.com, and we read that book uh, last month, yes. month before. And uh, that is a 1970s sci-fi movie or sci-fi novel about a bunch of people who live in this ultra modern high rise and just kind of decide like on their own just naturally like not to leave and about how the high rise becomes this metaphor for society and then it all starts to deteriorate into tribalism and violence and it just seems like the perfect examination of those exact themes of isolation and how it brings people into sharp relief and then slowly drives them mad uh after seeing this i think he is perfect for that kind of that movie, sounds and I'm fantastic very excited, very excited i wholeheartedly agree yeah i'm excited for that and tom hiddleston is in it so i'm psyched oh that's yeah, right many, yeah he is many people referring to this as his first real movie which is unfair hey i agree um deep blue sea the deep blue sea is amazing no i meant um ben wheatley's first real movie oh <laughs> Rude. That, that's weird because I've people have been talking about Killer since it came out. I've just been slacking. I just hang around way way less cultured people than you. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> what do they mean? First real movie? Do are the other ones made as styrofoam or yes, something? They are. <laughs> oh, is that what we watched? Styrofoam. It looked good. <laughs> probably, good probably could have been some of it was styrofoam. It wasn't, but I wouldn't put it past him. I'm a big fan of a- ASMR in terms of Ben Wheatley's films. <laughs> Quick question. Yep. Um, although um, Killist and Sightseers are a, little, are a little more stripped down and confined in terms of the fact they only deal with primarily, for the most part, two characters, um, two main characters, um, it, would anyone liken a field, of Eng- a field in England to Lord of the Flies in the way that it treats its members almost like a microcosm for society? Because that's what it sounds like High Rise is going to be. Um, yeah, I I think uh, Satra's No Exit is a much more, like, apt comparison than Lord of the Flies. Uh, but I think both could apply, for sure. I agree. I think because of the class differences between the characters in a field in England, you could almost kind of read that into that, and especially, like, 
when I think of high rise um, and how people, certain people were just pitted against each other and there was a lot of like unnecessary brutalism committed on certain characters because of where they came from. Uh, yeah, I would totally liken those two. Yeah, same. But unlike Lord of the Flies, a field in England never bothers with the step where everyone tries to form a democracy and it fails. It no. is always a a story about like an oppressive power structure. It's just who is inflicting that upon people changes. Yeah, because they, they yeah. see Michael Spiley show up, or I can't remember his name in the film. Uh, I know they call him the devil all the time. Uh, and just because he they uh, see the stuff he has basically he's got a shiny disc he has he's dressed better than everyone else so they immediately just assume oh this guy is in charge and we'll have to do what he says immediately like I heard that as shiny dick uh no disc but go ahead (laughs) (laughs) um yeah (laughs) good damn it Kyle (laughs) 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 completely destroyed my train of thought with I'm so sorry does have one of uh, Field in England does have one of the funniest dick shots I agree it's ridiculous and really gross <laughs> it's really gross it's more that he's been doing the, uh, the tableau shots of them periodically throughout the movie at specific points in the arc and then the third one is just a punt it's just a ridiculous build up to the punchline of the final shot is a penis <laughs> I actually love that scene because of the doctor listing off what he has. Yeah. And then he he was I, I don't remember the question. He wanted to know if he was going to turn the, into a frog. Oh yeah, and the response was no, that is one thing you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like nothing made me feel happier to live in 2014 than hearing that list of illnesses and thinking about <laughs> like the medical care back in the 16 1600s like blah. yeah boy yeah. <laughs> is right <laughs> but one of the things i think the film does really well is that it allows a setting that is remote enough to feel strange and alien, but these characters feel like people you know. Very much Like, it's very relatable for how removed it is from reality. Yeah. Good point. I was super impressed this was shot on digital, because it looks... um, It doesn't have that ultra-shiny sheen that um, a lot of films that are shot digitally, even black and white, have. Um, Trying to think of an example... Uh, much Ado About Nothing was shot on digital you and that has tell. this very, very strange sheen. And I actually don't like the cinematography in that film because I think that needed much better post-production values. Um, but this also does not have a, kind of the grain structure that something like Francis Ha has, but it still looks film-like to me. It still has those inky blacks. It plays with grayscale when it wants to, but it really pulls all the stops in terms of a very uh, there's not much of a set so to speak but it u- utilizes all that it has to make it a completely lived in environment that looks absolutely gorgeous but can also look very terrifying and, and um, daunting when it needs to Yeah. well c- uh, compared to Joss Whedon who came up through television and actually like through a Hollywood um, system Ben Wheatley like started with his filmmaking and like weird internet viral videos. 
So Guy has forever just been using digital cameras to make them look like uh, like using cameras to get an impression that they were film of something else and is very good at mm-hmm. y- um, utilizing whatever tools he has to create an effect of something that could look more expensive or more cheap or whatever. Mm. And all those skills are fully on display in this film. Kill list looked cheap. Not in a bad way, but it looked on the fly. It fit the narrative. Yeah. But one could tell that it was definitely shot digitally and sight series as well. And I think it's interesting that he should be able to kind of hone in that skill. And I wouldn't call a fear in England on the fly per se. There are certain shots that might feel that way. But I think there's um, much, there's a calculated quality to the cinematography in this which I think is absolutely great. Oh, there very much is. Like, even though certain scenes are very loosely filmed for the conversational tone, when it suddenly cuts to um, man is running out of the tent on a on a rope around his neck for a good, like, 90-second shot, it doesn't feel unearned or come out of nowhere. It's baked into the style of the film. True. Was there a specific reason... Um, he chose, or they chose, uh, this time period. Like, does anybody know, like, sort of the production history or anything? I think it was because of the way hallucinogenics worked in that time. Like, it was the right time to have that amount of drug stuff going on with also the characters kind of believing it was uh, the work of God or the devil. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. It's yeah, because it's it's the seventeenth century, so it's right before, like, just before the industrial revolution. Well, the industrial revolution was early nineteenth century, right before the Renaissance. Yeah. is what you want. Well, to that's say. the one I meant. Sorry, yes. I also get centuries confused with their numbering because I'm an idiot. No, me too. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Don't feel bad at all. Both of you should feel bad. Nobody asked you, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, you should feel bad. <laughs> but yeah, um, and also because it's in the middle of the English Civil War. Right. Yeah. And the English Civil War, do you know anything about that English guy? Yes, I do. Tell so me. So the, the English Civil War is when we overthrew the monarchy. We did that. We totally overthrew the monarchy in the English Civil War. Oh, good job, you guys. But it was, but our, well, the result of the English Civil War was so terrible that we reinstated them like four years later. Oh, good job, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Cromwell fucking everything up. Uh, but yeah, that's what it was. It, it was during the time of the fight against the monarchy. I don't think it ever states which side these folks are on. No, it doesn't. I don't think that's particularly relevant. No, it isn't. I just uh, was curious about the context. I, yeah, I wanted to make sure that they didn't actually say that because I think it's good that they just leave that completely i like how vague all of the war stuff is i really do yeah yeah it it was a super chaotic opening as far as like all you see is smoke and you hear gunshots and these characters are kind of in the middle of something and you're just kind of pushed into it and then you know uh a mere what 15 20 minutes later uh, the field and nothingness and um isolation so it's really disorienting, and you can kind of you're in the same headspace as the characters, with but without the uh, you know information. So I don't know. It really worked. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
Agreed. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's. Anyone got any final words on a field of England, or do you think we said what we wanted to say? I, I have a thing. You have a thing. I have a thing. I was really impressed with the production value. I thought there was a lot of detail that was put into their clothing and into mm-hmm. their environment. Yes. Which I, I'm particularly impressed with because they... I'm pretty sure it's a shoestring budget. and 300,000 pounds. Yeah, what up? Um, yeah, so I like the production value. Yeah, as I, did I. I thought it was super original. I, um... I'm glad that Hodorowski influences are coming back. <laughs> I hope that that is a thing that more people tap into because I am eating it all up. I've never seen a Hodorowski film. Get to it, my friend. You're a disappointment, Kyle. No, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Destiny. <laughs> I I do have El Topo and Holy um, I think the Holy Mountain. Yeah, those are the ones that matter. Because I got them from an acquaintance who just sent them to me. Cool. Yeah, Yeah, watch those. I'd like to hear what you think. Matt, final thoughts? I have none, but I thought this movie was great. I want to go see all the other Ben Wheatley movies now. Ditto. You should. You should. Uh, Kill This is the Best One, especially. (laughs) Man, I I, I know I've told this before, but the way the first time I saw Kill This was one of the biggest mistakes I made in my life. Really? I saw. I was like, um, I was like, it was eleven o'clock at night or something. It might have been past midnight. I was like, I want to watch a film before I go to bed. I have heard uh, this is a good hitman dark comedy. I'm going to watch Kill List uh, <laughs> as man who doesn't like horror films. And then the first half the hour or so is tense and strange and this weird slow burn stuff but it's okay and then as it gets to its climax and becomes just terrifying oh messed me up that film's great oh wow you should watch it fabulous kill list and um sightseers just for the listeners information they're both on american netflix streaming and his uh release this year in cinemas in uh, the UK is the first episode of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, that's really bummed me out because if you're going to get Ben Wheatley to do an episode of Doctor Who, you're not going to... What kind of idiot gives him the first big Stephen Moffat written um, set piece episode? You give him some random episode at we- the middle of the season, let him write one with Amy Jump and do whatever. We are not going to give out about Doctor Who on this podcast. I'm, not, I'm, I'm more saying about how when hiring someone to do a specific... Like, when bringing in a special director to do an episode of your television series, why would you put them in one where it's the least? they have the least ability to showcase their skills? Is more what I'm saying. Point. I agree. Maybe maybe it's going to be something weird and unique. You don't... I mean, <laughs> <Come> on, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> He's, one could hope. He's got that one, and he's got the Dalek episode. So I think I'm. I feel pretty safe in my assumptions. Okay. I have never watched Doctor Who, but I'm curious on a third party level. And, and, I'll um, let you know if it's. Uh, as it should whether, at least be better directed than anything that show has seen in the last yeah. ten years. I well, I'm hesitant to say that because there have been a number of directors who've done stuff for TV and. It kind of challenges, I guess, the O two or three because you can't see anything in in those episodes. I mean, have you seen that Quentin Tarantino CSI's episode? I have. It's not. fantastic. You should watch it. 
All the David Duchovny directed episodes of the X Files are great. I said it. I said it. <laughs> I, I I have seen um, an episode of Miss Marple that was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, and I and I would have never guessed that he had done it had I not known. I actually saw it twice. I saw it back when I used to actually watch it, and then I rewatched it when I was more familiar with his work. And he just blends in. Oh. There's nothing to suggest that he did anything other than a paycheck. Diane Keaton's Twin Peaks is also notoriously bad. Oh, I'm going to get to that soon. Okay. Yes, season two. Can't wait, can't wait. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's her fault. I just think that there was a lot of structural stuff going on at ABC at the time, so it's more of a problem with the network than her, but that's just me. But we can talk about that on a... I don't know, when we make a television cast, because you know that's going to happen. Um, no, it won't. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> we all have... When I watch Louis on. season four, I'll include it on this podcast. Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was Food in England talk. I think I don't think I said anything for final talks. I liked it. There you go. Good. Done. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Good job, us. Your opinion matters most because you're actually British, so... Yeah, give us that insider British feeling. The way they used towns and the names of places worked exceptionally well. Because I obviously know where all of them are and know the way they are in relation to each other, and hearing just town names being used in a context other than your own like time period is strange. Because when you imagine in your head a film that's like, oh, some kind of period film... It's either talking about very specific towns and big towns and like high class stuff, or it's a fantasy thing and every word is made up. Whereas this is like, oh, he's going to Norwich. I know where Norwich is. Uh, I, oh, that, wow. Yeah, and I, I thought that gave it a very good sense of place. Also, the fields look exactly like every single field I drive past on the A3. So <laughs> I, met, I, th- I heard oh. it was filmed just outside Guildford, so I probably have driven past these fields in my time. That's cool. It's cool, yeah. So, we also have some questions for our final segment. You may... Shouldn't... Uh, okay. Shouldn't what? We'll talk about the next movie after the questions. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's the sign-off. No, you're right. Sorry. Go Don't backseat, host. I know, it's so hard. <laughs> it's it, And it's also in the other podcast that I host. You, your backseat hosting is part of it. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... We have a few questions. So, first question emailed into trashbackratio at googlemail.com or gmail.com, actually, is the actual address, is from Ryan Serek. Is that how you pronounce it? I've never had to say it out loud. I don't know. I've never said it out loud either. either. I've only read it. <laughs> uh, aren't, isn't he also in, like, where you... Oh, yeah. We saw him just two Matt. weeks ago, but yeah. I don't know what his last name sounds like. In the like. Oma House. Um, Oma House, Nebraska. Oma House, Nebraska. I love him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he writes in. He says, "I take crap." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I take crap from folks who shall remain nameless about not preferring older movies. My question is: It. <laughs> he means Matt. He means me. Because <laughs> of course he does. Is oh it indefensible to, to suggest in an artistic medium like film that hu- is highly predicated on technology that films have just objectively gotten better? Consider that literally all forms of art, writing, painting, acting have existed since the near dawn of humanity and thus were only celebrated after much evolution while film is a century old. No! Wait! I want to answer wait, this. I'm going to answer it that? first because it's directed no, at me. I want to answer it first. Okay. okay. 
outside of special effects movies, film is not a medium predicated on technological advances. We're shooting with basically the same kind of technology that we've been shooting with since talkies became a thing. Uh, So he's wrong. Like, you want to talk about, like, mediums that are dependent upon technology. Movies have that base, but that base just doesn't evolve at the same rate. And the one major evolution outside of CG has been pushed back on by almost all of people who care about movies, which is digital photography. So I think it's a pretty resistant to change medium. And the idea that because the cameras are older or the acting's a little stagier or it's in black and white, that it's less relevant or inferior to modern film is nonsense. I don't He writes movie reviews for a living. He should know better. I don't <laughs> I don't buy into that they're predicated on technology. They're predicated on writing and acting and directing and I I, I disagree because what you're describing is stage. Uh, well, like I mean, there's a technological just, component inherent in film. I mean I guess you're right, but I just don't I, I yeah, I disagree that they're better because they're made with newer technology. I mean, how many times do you hear people whine about CGI messing up film, uh, certain genres, you know, or praising a movie for looking old. Like, I mean, we're talking about a field in England. It's a black and white film that came out, what, last year. Um, and it's a great movie. And I don't know. It's a, it's weird. And also, Ryan, watch some freaking old movies. Film is also, like, appreciation, pr- appreciation of film also includes uh, the appreciation of film history, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, I, I agree with what everyone said. Um, I got into a similar kind of debate regarding, um, Godzilla, because when I went to the TCM Classic Film Fest in LA in April, um, uh, Gareth Edwards was there introducing the original Godzilla, and he was like, this actually might not be totally relevant, but he was talking about how, um, classic films were, were better just inherently because they were classic and then he said something about um, CGI after the in- invention of computers and I feel like there's an in- uh, that k- kind of argument that age is inherently a factor in, in, in a film being qualitatively good or bad. I agree. I think that is incredibly unfair because though there are limitations one is paying attention to how they are using the things at their disposal, not um, the fact that they are using those things at their disposal. If that makes sense. Sure. It does. Yeah, I'm not arguing that old movies are better either. And you're not either. I know. But there are people who make that argument, and I'm not going to make that argument. Yeah, I don't agree with that. There are a lot of bad old movies. There's a ton of them. You'll get that argument at the TCM Classic Film Fest because well, that's they their, kind of channel to a certain that's niche. That's their bread, bread and but, butter. Yeah. And I, I've i always found that that, is kind of a, a, that kind of argument has an inherent fallacy to it because um, films have evolved, certainly, technologically in the way that we tell... And, and how experimental, uh, experimental our stories can be and how uh, receptive in terms of content. But it just seems like an arbitrary argument to say that older films um, are better or newer films are better because everything is going to be old at one point. I don't know where I was going with this. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, I, I think that he uh, kind of 
shoots his question in the foot by talking about how it's predicated on technology uh, because the one angle his question could have that is almost legitimate is that in the last 120 years or however long film's been around didn't around longer than that because it was in the late 1800s where film was actually starting but uh, mm-hmm. the evolution of a common and understood language of cinema has been fairly constant I mean it's, um, mm-hmm. so you can definitely say say that on on some kind of level modern audiences are going to react better to a modern film but um, if you're actually getting into film as a thing and trying to appreciate it then all you need to do is watch like two of those old movies and then you will understand the language more it's not so foreign that you're going to be confused as to what the intent is with whatever cinematography techniques they're trying 50 years ago they're still the same basic ideas i don't think that holds any weight at all it's the same basic grammar yeah it is it is it's and that hasn't changed much since the evolution of uh, since the dawn of film because it is technically still young i would say that um one of the the kind of like the key milestones were um like a trip to the moon was an actual story and had an actual narrative um and then the Great Train Robbery used cross-cutting, and that was pretty new. And then what was? And then I guess the uh, the MTV generation started using editing Sequence in a different way. And sure, montage. none of that yeah. stuff. None of that stuff wasn't in Man with a Movie Camera. Right. Like it moved away from that, but all that stuff still existed. Mm. It just became more normalized. Yeah. Yeah. But next like, question. I- oh, never mind. Sorry. Sorry. Because I was watching, this obviously isn't anywhere near as old, uh, but I was watching some James Bond movies, and in some of those 60s movies there are a bunch of, for no reason, double speed footage. And it looks terrible! It looks terrible and doesn't work and completely brings you out of it. Uh, But probably at the time, that wouldn't have been as distracting a thing to have comedy double speed footage, I assume, because that's very much a thing of its time, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that is an example of something that uh, being from a different era of movie making and having different reference points would affect your enjoyment. But for the most part, I think. But it's still possible to say look at that. Yeah, look at like a seventies or eighties like blue screen composite shot and recognize that it looks fake and kind of hinky by today's standards, but still appreciate what it's doing in the context of the film that it's in. Definitely, Mm -hmm. and that 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 kind of hokiness does not necessarily deter against um, the film's other um, qualities. positive qualities. Yeah. No. I assume you're talking about like Lazenby and Connery. Yes. Yeah. That la- that first Lazenby fight. <laughs> Pretty great. I, I need to rewatch all of them actually. Because I'm a James Bond fan that doesn't like the James Bond movies. Okay, next question from Scott Emsley. Uh, I haven't seen it, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take the reins in this one, guys. Uh, this is big trouble in Little China. Is this an effective skewering as or uh, effective skewering of white American male as default hero in action movies? Um, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say no. Uh oh. Uh, the make gestures towards making fun of him traipsing into this, like, story of 
Chinese mysticism that trades in a lot of uh, cliche and trope, but it still trades in a lot of cliche and trope. That doesn't excuse it. It's fun, and it's smarter than most movies of its type, but I don't think it's actually coherent enough to be a real subversion. It's just kind of a send-up. I think it's plenty coherent. And I I, I don't think that it... Um, what am I trying to say? I think that it skewers just enough, but I also think because he is still the main character, but not necessarily the hero-hero, um, it, it's not a perfect film in, in that respect. I'm, I'm going to say that as someone who hasn't seen the movie... From a distance, I've heard nothing about the film except that Kurt Russell is cool. Uh, oh, it's it's good. You should definitely it's watch so it. It's so much fun. No, I've heard that it's good, but I haven't like heard anything about it being a subversion of that. Like all the talk about that film has been about how cool a hero Kurt Russell is. So it didn't achieve that on any cultural level then. Mm. I think that's true for sure. But also, I think, I think... that the movie's fandom is kind of at, not at odds but the movie is smarter than its status yeah. as what kind of classic it is would give it credit and for. it also it doesn't hurt that or excuse me it doesn't help the cause that that uh kurt russell kind of becomes this uh movie folk hero you know after that was, movie was that, the, an, was that an early russell film then it's comparatively it's like I guess it's like kind of mid era, what eighty four, eighty five. So I think so. It's a little bit, but like I mean, as far as like his status nowadays in film, I feel like it, you know it kind of cements that. But I don't know. Am I yeah. making sense? Yeah, no, I get. I'm I'm following. Okay. I'm with you. Okay, next question. Card. Do you have anything to say? Or should... next question. I've never seen it. So. Fair, fair point. Okay, uh, Carl Vaughn. Is that? Is I said that right? Carl Vaughn, yes. Yes, good. Whew. Uh, what movie is your go-to for background noise and why? Ooh, good question. Um, I, I do, I'll answer because it'll be short. I don't listen to movies in the background ever, period. Well, I've Me been either. with you and we've done that twice. And I can tell you the, <laughs> the movies that we've uh, like had on while we were playing board games and stuff. Uh, we watched, uh, or we didn't watch, but we had on Head the uh, monkeys film and yeah. uh scott pilgrim versus the world i want to point out that the last time we did that was over 18 months ago but it's it, not a thing i do often but it's something that happened and i think that you should acknowledge that and also when we put on scott pilgrim we actually just ended up watching scott pilgrim yeah i was gonna say <laughs> if it's a really good film you just stop doing whatever the hell you're doing and you start oh, watching scott pilgrim mine is probably um oh i haven't done it in a while but Oh, I would put on, when I was younger, I would always put on West Side Story or The Breakfast Club. It was always something really, like, uh, 80s or um, a a musical, which is kind of weird. Um, Another one, I used to watch a lot of, um, oh, I can't bring, like the Shawshank Redemption. I guess that isn't either of those things, but (laughs) I don't know. It's been a long time since I've just put on a movie. Yeah, I'm the same way as Matt. I'll, if I want background stuff, I'll probably put on a podcast. Same. Or music. Well, yeah. Well, music is always on mm. in my life. I don't even, That's just a part of... If I'm on the computer, there's music playing. Yeah, same. <laughs> I won't put something on exactly for background noise, 
but I will do it as a level of comfort knowing that I might drift off or I might do something at the same time. So, but it's never with the intention of it being background noise. Uh, usually I do that with sitcoms. But I guess the films that would qualify, I do that a lot with screwball comedies because they just are very warm and inviting. So I've done it with Charade. To Be or Not To Be, Designed for Living, Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday. Um, uh, Woody Allen's Radio Days, which I am a big fan of. I love that movie and too. So it, that, it's the warmth that attracts me. And um, what's the other film that I do it with occasionally? Um, I was just thinking, Stranger Than Fiction. Because that... Because you're never too old to go to space camp. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, uh, less of a question, more of an order from Matty FM's his Twitter handle. Rank the Terminator films. Uh, I'm, I'm not going first on this one. Someone else can take it. Well, I like Terminator 2 more than Terminator. And I never saw Terminator 3, so I'm going to go Terminator 2, Terminator, and Salvation. <laughs> I'll go next. Terminator 2, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, nice. Terminator 1, Terminator 3. I have not seen Salvation. I forgot about the television show. The television show was pretty great. I only saw one episode. I wanted to see more. It wasn't bad. I didn't finish uh, it, but it was great. Yeah. I will... Just say Terminator, because that is the only one that I've seen. Non-controversial rating there. Uh, Terminator Alien 3. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I'd say Terminator 1, Tem- Terminator 3, and Terminator 2, and then all the Terminator to Salvation. I'm going to quit this podcast, because yep, you're a monster. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. We've Term- done this. We have hashed this out many I know. times. Terminator 2 is one of those movies that it is so inexorably linked with my childhood. There's maybe three movies that I could say are and such childhood films. And they're all these ones. <laughs> they're all the ones I don't like. Uh, it's Terminator It's Terminator 2, it's Jurassic Park, and it's Five Will Goes West. Those are the I three. haven't seen the last one. Those- you don't like Jurassic Park? I didn't on the first watch. I will watch it again. I Jackson that, hates joy and fun, didn't you know? No, I, I really like... I thought uh, that was me. Yeah, it's me and Kyle are very uh, are linked in that way. Myth and throat for life. And I'll, I understand, it's because Jurassic Park set such a template for the kind of movies that exist now. It's why I don't like Aliens, because every movie and video game is Aliens. When did you see Aliens, Matt? When, like, two and a half years ago. No wonder you don't like it. I saw it no, when I was a kid. No, I think it's kid. terrible, but I saw it as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. See, so all these, yeah. And that's the same thing for me in Terminator 2. Uh, seeing, uh, Everyone yeah. is disappointing. T- that's all I have to say right now. <laughs> One I'm... day I will watch the the director's cut of Aliens. Hey, and I want to point out, I saw Alien as an adult, and it's one of the best movies ever made. So... High five it is. Everyone loves Alien. Let's never talk about Prometheus. Let's make a vow. Okay. Final <laughs> I've question. I like Prometheus. You're wrong. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I've never seen I it. I think it's... I, I don't put any, like, um, great uh, weight into it, but I think it's at least entertaining. And I like Michael Fassbender. It's a, it's a gorgeous, vapid, trash heap of a movie. I'll give you yeah. that. And I, and I think that's fun, and I think that's all it needs to be. It's better than Star Trek. How about that? <laughs> I I had to re- remember the Star Trek movies existing, and then I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm back with you." 
wait, hang on. Oh, oh yeah, Star Trek happened. <laughs> okay, you have more questions, Jackson? I have one more question. Okay. Uh, from Ollie Jeffrey, uh, with Exorcist Taint Texas, ah, with Exorcist, ah, I can't talk. With Exorcist Texas Chainsaw et al. causing a stink in the seventies, but now acknowledged classics. Do you think films like a Serbian movie and Human Centipede will be reevaluated in forty years? Does everything eventually get tame? Probably. Mm, no, because movies like Cannibal Holocaust are still shocking to people. I think because there are movies, there are movies from the seventies that are still really hard to watch, and in fact, oftentimes are more hard to watch now than they might have been in the context of when they came out. I, They're different movies. I think they'll be re-examined. I don't know if like they'll have that notorious status, but they might mm-hmm. be notorious classics. Because I think, depending on the circles you rule in, Hannibal Holocaust is a classic, and I'm not sure. saying I'm in that camp. Having never seen it, I can't be, but I I feel like that's a thing. And given those two movies. Human Centipede already is like a camp midnight movie. It should be a staple if it's not already. Uh, a Serbian film is garbage. I've never. And should seen only it. be watched by people who want to hate their life for however long that movie's runtime is. I mean, I already do. It's terrible. So, it's okay. ter- it's. I don't want to say it's irredeemable, say but it's garbage. And but like you're talking about Cannibal Holocaust and and Exorcist. Uh, I hear those two movies spoken with reverence, but in very different ways. Yes. In the modern day. Yeah. So even if they do get reevaluated as classics, it's not going to be in the same way as Exorcist is. Because there's, a, there's always going to be schlock fans who like terrible movies that push their boundaries. Well, like, uh, I don't. What's the th- uh, I've Antichrist never... is the one that. I mean, is a, yeah, that's like the art house one. version of this, sure. Because yeah, that's the, a film that gets brought up in really shocking, hard to watch things, but already has a bunch of fans who um, like it as a Me. like actual art movie. In a way that Me. Human Centipede is never even trying to be. No. I watched it after Hangover once. <laughs> or during a Hangover, I don't know. <laughs> oh, was, I thought you meant was interesting. after Hangover. The film? The Hangover. <laughs> no. No, I watched Antichrist after I had been drinking. Um, and I have never heard a Serbian film talked about with any um, kind of acclaim in any sense of the word. I might be re-examined to some extent about its political ideology. I haven't seen I it think, myself, I think but... the arguments about it being a political film are a lot of people covering their asses after the fact or trying to justify meaning where there is none. I don't know. I think that that's a really... Spe- uh, like a, It's just an argument that doesn't hold any weight for me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That once, if it does get re-examined because of that, it'll probably be done so kind of with um, dismissiveness. And disdain. Well, there we go. Them's the questions. I feel like good questions, good talk, good podcast, everyone. Well done. Yay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We did it. We did it. Uh, Now we are entering the final plug zone and shall emerge on the other side with a full podcast to upload. Should we talk about what next month is first? Next month podcast. That's part of the plug zone, Matt. Okay. It's Sorry. all within the zone. I didn't Stop know. backseat hosting. <laughs> <laughs> Britney Spears <laughs> in the zone. In the zone. Yes. Um, the pod. Uh, Daphne, do you want to introduce it? Because it's your choice. Sure. Uh, for next Ides, uh, Ides of September, I've decided we should watch Paul Bartel's film uh, Eating Raoul from 1982. Uh, I picked this movie because uh, I really like Mary Warnov. And she is in this movie. 
Um, and both her and Paul Bartel are, uh, well, he's dead, but she's still around. Uh, they, they were both, uh, character actors who just kind of popped up in things over the years, and I really love them. Um, Paul Bartel, he also, um, directed Death Race 2000, and, um, what else did he do? Um, Lust in the Dust, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cannonball, uh, Shelf Life, he's just uh, 1972 movie Private Parts, be kind of a schlockmeister. Uh, this movie is about cannibalism, but it is a Criterion film, and that delights me. Cool. So watch that before the Ides of September if you want to watch along. Uh, the final bit of plugs we have. I'm tylea 2 on Twitter. Uh, then I'll I'll just I'll just do these so everyone knows. I'm Tyler002 on Twitter. Destiny Sturdivant is at FridgeBuzzNow. Matt is at LitRock. And Kyle Turner is at Tyle Kerner. Uh, so follow How us. very original. It's Yeah. Mine's the worst. Like, objectively. I have the worst Twitter handle. It's fine. I was the youngest. No. Yours is fine because it's short. I think Destiny loses because hers is the longest. But it's catchy. It's, it's catchy. No, it's I memorable. Feel like the fact that Mine is a nonsense word with a number. Mine loses easily. <laughs> uh, and the account for the movie podcast there, the movie the account for the podcast is Trashbeck Ratio. Please follow us, and we'll update you whenever there's any new episodes or articles on the website at trashbeckratio.com. If you want to see a properly run podcast, I, me and Jackson <laughs> co-host a video game podcast called Abnormal Mapping. You can find us at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, it's video game stuff. I also do a book club at booksforcooks.tumblr.com. Destiny is part of that. I host that, but it's more I kind of sit back and let everyone else talk. Uh, that's my stuff. I can be found um, at badlandgirls.com. Twitter at badlandgirls. Uh, Badland Girls is my junk culture podcast um, that I co-host with Rhea Dahauer. I also appear on Books for Crooks. And, um, yeah, that's 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 what I do. I write for a bunch of places on the internet. Um, MovieMezzanine.com SoundOnSite.org um, UnderTheRadarMag.com um, There are other places, but I don't remember them at the moment. Um, but you can find my, port- my writing portfolio at tilekerner.tumblr.com and my personal Tumblr is motionpicturesatarevolution.tumblr.com and I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. Well, good time, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the Ides.